Logical Progression, Year 4, Chapter 14, Lesson 5. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, wal-aqibatu al-mutaqeen, wa la'udbana illa ala al-zalimeen, wa salamatullahi wa salamuhu wa la sharaf al-anbiya'i wal-mursaleen, Sayyidina Muhammad, wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in, اللهم لا سهل إلا ما جعلته سهلا وأنت تجل الحزن إذا شئت سهلا اللهم أعنا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك يا رب الكريم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته حياكم الله I hope you guys are doing well inshallah so, uh, nice lesson that I've been looking forward to for a little while because of some interesting um, some interesting discussions that Sheikh Uthameen uh, delves into a tangent which I think is really nice actually um, so I think where we got to obviously we'd like to thank in his absence Sheikh Kehlan preserve him for us for as long as is possible and uh, we pray for his uh, steadfastness and for his khair wherever he is he left uh, today um, back to Mecca and we always enjoy of course yani, any moments that he can uh, share with us um, so it's been a couple of weeks So the last thing that we uh, were saying In the Arabic Is وَيَكُونَ <laughs> And that's hopefully what I want to try and cover all of today. The Mu'addin should be of good voice, trustworthy, and knowledgeable about the time. If there are contenders for it, then the one who is best in these characteristics is chosen, or then the one who is best in religion and intellect, or then whoever the locals choose, or then finally lots are drawn. You know when I was translating this, I wasn't sure whether I should put or or and. Because it is meant to be, you know, if you can't get this done, then do that. And if that doesn't work, then do that. Or doesn't it all suggest that in English? Because obviously I'm on Paris now after Cameron's on my case about English and that. I've got to be careful, yeah? So. Or doesn't give an order. Oh, it doesn't, is it? I'm just, I'm just feeling that it doesn't give an order. If there are contenders, I mean, the, the meaning is obvious uh, what it's trying to say. Uh, this is the guy, he's got to be top man And if that's the guy, then end the story But, okay, if there are more than one pe- person for the job Then the one who is best is chosen Simple as that But then if and then, But if they're the same the, Okay, then the one who is best in religion and intellect And then whoever the locals choose And then finally lots are drawn So I remember when I was translating it I wrote and, and, and Then I thought, I don't know whether it looks like a list of requirements or whether it indicates order and I tried putting a few commas in and I, so I put it into all so let's just let's just solve that should it well, you put characteristics in order of preference couldn't you and then these characteristics in order of preference are yes yes uh, 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 absolutely that is, the, that is the right way it should have been done for a modern class the problem is, is that we are kind of trying to do a literal translation. 
But you're absolutely right. That's exactly how it should be. That's exactly we should write for him. So we would not write it like that at all. We would say if they are this because ultimately, I mean, why is it important that we stick to exactly his structure if there's no meaning behind that structure? If we can change the structure, change the words, add an extra sentence without adding or taking away from the primary text and then create an order in order as follows, one, two, three, four. It becomes super clear to the English reader, right? The reason, of course, that we haven't done that is because this is selling itself as a classical fiqh class and by that meaning that that's what I need to do in my commentary as opposed to touch the text, make you aware of how cumbersome the original text is and yet explain to you how we would do it in the commentary. So I think we can keep it like that. I don't think it's a major issue as long as you understand that there is an order. So let's talk about that order. Um, so the first thing that he mentions is that the Mu'addin should be of good voice, trustworthy and knowledgeable about the time. The, the first thing that comes to mind is the English word should. Okay, Now that's a major issue that we have because in the Arabic, uh, uh, in the Arabic language, um, وَيَكُونَ الْمُؤَذِّنُ صَيِّتًا it's, uh, if you're going to translate it almost literally, it's like, and the mu'addin is of good voice, and so the mu'addin is, so it's like a description of who he is. So, but obviously, I mean, I could probably write that down in, in, in the English or translate it like that. The mu'addin is this, 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 this. But because it's a legal text, we need to try and indicate in the original text, is he saying that is a sunnah? That it's something good or something obligatory, an absolute must. And if, the per- and if the person doesn't have this ability, then it's no good. That's the question we need to. And so for that reason, we use the very useful word, probably the most useful word in English, Arabic, Islamic structure. And that is the word should. It's useful because it covers many things. It's a problem because it doesn't indicate legal ruling. Because should is something that one recommends. You should do that, right? Whereas... We know here there's a definitive legal in, in inclination, i.e. either it is recommended for you to do this or it's obligatory for you to do this. So that's, I want you to be aware of that. Always be aware of that. Whenever you see an English translation, use the word should, you automatically know that that is an incorrect translation of the intention of the author. And you need to go back to the author of the original Arabic text to understand what he means. Okay, now it just so happens that the author here has not indicated neither before or after what he considers to be the ruling on these three characteristics. So we are going to decide that. Okay, and so what are these three characteristics that he is soyitan, aminan, and aliman bilwaqt? So the first one we'll take is soyitan, which is uh, a word which comes which is connected to salt, okay, voice, and I've translated it as, I translated it as of good voice. I think actually I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that out of this list of characteristics, there's only one thing which is obligatory. I mentioned that, didn't I? Trustworthy. Trustworthy, right, okay. I think I just gave a little kind of preview. I said, by the way, that's what you're going to find out. And likewise here, okay, of good voice might have been the case back in the day. Even back in the day, there you will find rarely any faqih that will say it is obligatory for him to be of good voice. Obligatory. Because ultimately, it's to tell people of the time. And as long as the time gets told, then good voice or not is not yani, the, uh, uh, the absolute yani, most important thing. However, it's clear from the sunnah. I think, did I tell you the story of the Adhan? We've, we've, spo- we've spoken about that? No. 
I think in passing, but I mean, again, again, uh, very, very kind of quickly, uh, you know that when the Prophet ﷺ came to Medina and, you know, Salah started, you know, there was no congregational prayer in, the, in Mecca as such, formal. And it's all started to come together in, in Medina. We've got Masajid now, okay? We've got the early Masajid. We've got Masjid Nabawi as well. And so it's all, obviously Masjid Nabawi is the name that we've called it. It wasn't at that time. It was just the, 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 the main Masjid. And um, uh, so they're coming to the uh, prayer and they're using a lot of kind of, you know, looking around and checking things and seeing if it's the right time. And they're probably spending a lot of time extra waiting around because they're not sure and so on. And at the same time, they're looking, the companions, and observing the surrounding Jews, Christians, and other religions, the Majus as well, the, the fire worshippers. And they're seeing these guys quite organized when it comes to their prayer rituals. If you want to come to the prayer, we'll ring a bell, or we'll do this, or we'll light a fire, etc., etc., etc. So the companions were like, you know, Ya Rasulullah, don't you think that we should hook something up as well for our congregational prayer so we can give a shout out, whatever. And the Prophet ﷺ doesn't negate it or affirm it. And he just takes it on board. And then Abdullah ibn Zayd, radiallahu anhu, one, one of the significant companions of the time, um, he had a dream that night. And in that dream, someone came to him, you know, in a very kind of pure kind of, uh, uh, in a very pure sense, and a pure kind of setting. And he taught him these words of the adhan, which we're going to come to next week. Um, and then, when he woke and he went to the Prophet ﷺ and told him, at that same time, Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab also came and said, I had a dream last night and someone came to me and taught these words. Akhra, it was, it was job done. And you know, um, for those who have uh, covered Al-Adab Al-Mufrad with me, and I've covered this in detail in the biography of Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab, he's one of these people who's like the confirmer. Yeah, he's like the one who seals the deal all the time. Yeah, and when there's an issue of doubt or concern, or there's a difference of opinion, whatever. It's normally said, now Omar gives the opinion, still some opposition. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala normally the next day or the same day reveals a verse saying it's the position of Omar in no uncertain terms. Without saying it's the position of Omar, whether that's the issue of hijab, the treatment of prisoners, whether it was the taking of Maqam Ibrahim as a place to pray, and so on and so forth. So many actually. And that's one of his uh, uh, divine qualities because he's, he's confirmed by Allah. And that's something which is uh, a, a good point to remember. Anyway, so now it was clear that we have a, a call to the prayer and we have words. And then the Prophet ﷺ, he knew that obviously we've got the wording, now it's got to be said. And so he actually said, I want Bilal to be doing this. I want Bilal to be doing this. And he chose Bilal for his clear voice, his clear, strong voice. And maybe in the next one, two weeks, over the next few weeks when we go through the grammar and the linguistic nature of the adhan, I will put forward my opinion of actually what Bilal's voice, uh, not, not the actual voice, but what Bilal's style looked like compared to what we hear of the adhans today, so that you understand exactly why he was chosen. Although, and here's the interesting point, um, he wasn't chosen to do every single adhan. We know that Abdullah ibn al-Maktoum was given the responsibility of the actual adhan for Fajr. So that was not Bilal's responsibility. And at the same time, we also know that the Prophet ﷺ would go, and there are stories, they're not very strong, okay? It's not like a hadith, but there are stories in the books of uh, history 
that indicate that the Prophet ﷺ, as part of his kind of, you know, community kind of scene, when he would walk around and check out yeah, his community and look after, look out for the folks. Then, you know, like uh, we have today, uh, you know, like shopping uh, uh, malls. I don't even know what we use today or whatever. Back in the shopping malls. But in America, that would be the case where young kids go and hang out and they waste their time and they're all, you know, just bugging people and, you know, just dosses, we call them, right? I don't know where people dos these days, but dosses. So the dosses, they used to be like at that time as well, at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, just like any other society. And uh, they'd be messing around, most of the time irritating people who'd go by and so on. And the Prophet ﷺ, Actually, we have narrations from Sayyidina Abu Bakr al-Siddiq and the Prophet ﷺ that they're always very uh, industrious when they come across people like that. They wouldn't kind of be so, uh, you know, criminalizing their existence, but rather putting them to good use. So Abu Bakr was known for putting people into jobs, okay, giving them jobs to do. And likewise, the Prophet ﷺ, he probably took it from the Prophet ﷺ because the Prophet ﷺ heard one of two of these. You know how today might be, they might be singing to one another and doing raps and God knows what, okay? Back in the day, they'd be doing poetry to one another or singing poetry to girls and all that kind of nonsense, right? And so there was one particular, or there was a few, that had very good style, good yani, finesse of voice, quality, and drum and all the rest of it. And the Prophet ﷺ said to him, hey, you know... Um, what about, if I, what about if I give you a job? Yani, what about if I give you a... Not a job, but what about if you do something for me? And he basically gave them da'wah and he made them mu'addineen of different masajid. And that was clearly an indication that there are qualities that one looks for when a person is giving adhan. And then I want you to remember that back in the day, the idea, of course, is very, the adhan is a very different reality to what it is today. So we do not know the reality of an adhan except that it's done inside a uh, building, meaning the mosque. All right, But that's ridiculous and absurd because the adhan is meant to indicate to other people outside. And obviously there's no microphone speakers then those, those, those days, so it would be climbing on top of the masjid. The minara, okay, the minaret, is something which came much later and a design function which has nothing to do with the early generations. Okay, and it's not a function of the mosque, or it's not a characteristic of a prophetic mosque per se. It's just a common sense thing in that it is has two characteristics. One is very high, and number two, it has a curve inside, which allows the voice to echo within, and then open at all sides means it spreads as far as one can. So there's a great chance of that spreading when it's said. And so therefore the Muslims, you know, I, can't, I don't know whether it was the Mu'in or Abbasiyin, whoever it is, I'm not... That you know, into my history like that, but they incorporated this mirar in the minara into all masajid. Then, all of the different cultures and the ruling bodies that took over then established the minara as an aspect of their mosques. So, there obviously, it pointless some you know, miskin going up there and you're going, and no one's going to hear him, right? When the whole you know, the whole area is dependent upon the guy, and so that's where Sayyidan came from. This person's got to be of good voice. And Sheikh Uthameen mentions a point here. He says that the word uh, Sayyid can have three potential meanings. The strength of a voice, the, beautiful, uh, uh, the, the beauty of the voice. The beauty of the voice? The finesse of the voice? The beauty Melody. of the voice? Huh? Melody? Melody? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Hisna salt, yani. I think the beauty of the voice or the niceness of the voice Okay, which is clearly different to the Uwat al-Sawti, yani the strength, how loud you are. And then the third is husn al-Ada, uh, how well you do it. And that's something completely different. That's, for example, being able to say the actual words. 
You know, like for example, saying Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, as opposed to saying Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, which you see many people, they don't say Allah's name, which we will call Tafkhim, Allah. See, Lam, okay, as a letter, it depends upon the rules of Tajweed, it's either, it could theoretically be La, or it could be La, right? Depending upon the rules of Tajweed and what comes before it and so on. So a person who doesn't know that, then he goes, you know, and he, then he could actually make a mistake and say Allah, which is not, uh, 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 it's not our Lord's name, it's Allah. So that's not someone who's doing it very well. Likewise, as we're going to uh, uh, study over the next few weeks, this statement of Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, which is wrong. And it should be Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. The difference between the two, and it's difficult to discern for the untrained ear, is that there is a Dhamma, Pesh, uh, yes, at the end of the uh, uh, Akbar. So, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. But if you are to say it together, then it will become Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Right? However, if you listen to the majority, 90% of the Mu'addin, Mu'addinin, the one who gives the Adhan is called the Mu'addin, plural, Mu'addinun, Mu'addinun or Mu'addinin. You will hear them say, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Naturally, they make a fatha on the yeah. So this is not called husn al-ada. It's not you're not doing it properly, and there's a difference. And we'll discuss this whether that's valid, invalid, whether it invalidates the ada, not what who. We'll talk about that inshallah um, later. Now the point I want to make here is that how important is this? Okay, it might might have seemed been important then. How important is it now? Well, frankly, it's not very important. No one wants to hear someone with a voice that sounds like a cat being pulled through the bushes. All right? And believe me, we've got people like that in Amasajid Yani in the plenty. Okay? But at the same time, you know, this is not a song. And it's not meant to cheer people up. All right? It's meant to be a reminder to what you're meant to be doing. And so um, the, the niceness of the voice cannot be the focus. The function is more important. However, put into the, to, to the mix that now, with a microphone and speaker reality everywhere, now the strength of the voice is irrelevant as well. People can say it very, very quietly, and it can turn out to be like a huge thing, depending upon the power of the amplifier, etc., etc. And so, so, I want you to know that, um, that it is good and recommended that we choose a person who's got strong voice, nice voice, etc., but it is not something which is an absolute uh, obligation. Yes? Yeah, that we're going to cover that, inshallah, uh, next week, bi'ithnillah. Um, the other thing which uh, uh, I found uh, interesting, which Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar Shankiti mentioned, is that, um, <laughs> I like this point, actually. He goes, one of the other things about the adhan is like the imam. You know, you have to be proud of these people. He represents you. Like, we, we would not be happy with a guy who led our prayer right now and he said that, you know what, I didn't eat the sweets on your behalf because, you know what, I'm just weak like that. We are happy that he turns around and says to us, I ate the sweets on your behalf, okay? There's no need for you guys to get excited or depressed. It was a, it was a celebration of the community. Zafar had a kid. I ate the sweets, 
I know that you're very happy for me. That's the kind of Imam that we want. Represents us. We're proud of him. He, we're happy with him. And he just put it out there, right? We want an Imam that we respect in everything. And it's very important because he is in front of us. Amamuna fahuwa imamuna. Okay, he's in front of us. He leads us. So therefore he is our leader. And so that respect is important. The Mu'addin likewise. He's a public figure. Okay, all public figures, all Islamic workers, all people in responsibility, we need to have confidence. Confidence is very, very important from the people. Okay, very important because you know, um, I mean, there are many factors to this. The, the confidence is one thing. The psychological, yeah, the, the, the psychology of of feeling embarrassed of the guy representing you is just is is is, is catastrophic, frankly. And likewise, at the same time, when people are not happy with the person who's leading them. It is one of the reasons why a person shouldn't be imam. And there are some discussions, and we'll cover this later um, uh, when we get to the chapter of the imam. Okay? Um, uh, uh, people need to be happy with him. Right? Can't be a person who does bid'ah. Can't be a person who just sins openly, etc., etc. Now, can't be, when I say can't be, doesn't mean that prayer is invalid behind him. Prayer is valid behind a person, but he shouldn't be the imam. All right? And that's well known and agreed upon. But this also goes to, applies to the mu'addin. And Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar, he, Al-Mukhtar, he brings this point up here and he says that the Mu'addin, when it comes to his voice, can't be a guy that when he gives the Adhan, you like thinking, oh my God. Yeah? He goes, especially for a person yani, who stands up in front of the people and, you know, big guy, whatever, this, that, whatever, and he puts his fingers there. He goes, oh, I better like him. And he's got some feminine kind of, you know, lame voice. Right? cracking all over the show and he just literally you know the word I want to use but I can't use it yeah okay right he's got, <laughs> he's got that exact voice and you're just thinking oh my god what is this guy here you know what I'm saying so Shemakon uh, Mukhtar he says that um, uh <laughs> ولذلك ينبغي أن يكون صوته بعيدا عن طراوة النساء ونداوتهن. He goes, it can't be a guy with the feminine weak voice. Can't be a guy, yani, who's you know he's, he's out there, he's putting it out. So that's another point that, that should be kept in mind. You know, there's a, there's a respect issue there as well. So uh, push comes to shove. Is this an obligation with respect to his voice? Answer: Beauty, no. Strength of voice, no. Ultimately, it's about get, let, being heard and the people hearing. As long as the people hear, then that's covered. Obviously, we want someone who's better, stronger, more respected. That's better for the jama'ah. The next thing is a very important one. Aminen, okay? Trustworthy. And this is without doubt obligatory. And that's for two main reasons. The first reason is because this guy is responsible for your most important obligation that you will ever do, and that's your prayer. He messes it up with respect to saying it too early, you've not prayed. He says it too late, you've missed the prayer. I mean, it's a serious point. It's a very serious point, especially when it comes to Fajr, for example, and making the Adhan too early. That's a huge, huge matter. And so he's trusted, not just with Salah, but he's trusted with the second most important act that you will do, which is fasting. So in Ramadan... When it comes to, you know, when you're breaking your fast and when you're opening your fast, he's the guy who basically tells you when to stop eating. He's the guy who tells you now to start, you know, start eating. Break your fast. If he gets that wrong, okay, and, or, and not just gets it wrong, because that's more to do with knowledge, but he's now lazy with it. You know? 
or he's like negligent with the issue. He doesn't yani, fulfill his responsibility. He's give, been given a huge responsibility. This is a guy who's like, yeah, you know what, I'm partying tonight, whatever, whatnot. He's not a party guy. He's not the guy who, you know, he lets his desires get over the desire of the jama'ah. They always come first. So he will sacrifice his time. Like I gave you the example of uh, uh, two weeks ago of Sheikh Abdul Haq, yes? I said to you, Miskeen, he's a guy who never ever sees any of the parties that we go to. As a masjid I'm talking about. He's the guy who has to remain here. He just basically is the one who stays. He's the one who prays, leads the people. Does that? He's the one who just misses out on everything. That's what you have to do to be the mu'adzin. You've got to be that trustworthy. All right? The people have to know that he will definitely turn up to get the job done. So that's the first meaning of trustworthiness. That's why he's trustworthy. You've got to be trustworthy. Um, the second uh, aspect, anyone can guess what the second aspect Anyone? Why he needs to be trust? Why he needs to be very trustworthy? Think historically. Maybe not so much now. Something to do with the minara. Something to do with standing on top of a masjid. Looking into people's houses. Looking into people's houses. Okay. You will see, especially if you go home back into the village kind of uh, areas, um, uh, where you're uh, uh, certainly in in appearance certainly. Okay, well, I don't know about your parents, certainly my parents anyway, yeah, okay. Um, the masajid, they still uh, uh, climb and they don't, might, might not have a minara, but they will stand on top of the masjid to give the adhan. And you will see that the design of the houses in the villages back home uh, or in the Muslim countries, they are very specific actually. You will see that the top of the house is always used. Okay, they're mostly hot countries and you know, all the rest of it, and so therefore the top. Uh, rain is not a major issue and, and there's space and I don't know other cultural things but um, there will be some kind of jardawaliya they call it right that they will make around the uh, a roof uh, roof yeah they will put four walls up around the roof to basically allow the women to go there and to maintain the aura of the house okay now obviously the adhan okay the, the one who gives the adhan he sees everything in the local masajid you'll see it all in actual fact in actual fact You'll see all of that even from your own house, especially if you're like my house, okay? Like my house in Pakistan is on the edge of a uh, mountain. And actually, all the houses are like on the edge of a mountain. So, obviously, the higher up you are, the more you see down and the more you see around. And in our, in our culture, our Pathan culture is obviously a massive thing. And the eyes have to be very, very controlled. And there is a very a strict code that people understand about what time people go up and how, what angle you're watching at and looking out and so on and so forth. And so you will see things. You're looking right into, you know, uh, right into the midst of a house. You're seeing everything. Okay? And so the Mu'addin, he will regardless see things. He will see things. And, I, and we talked about this before that um, people will always do things and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sometimes hides for the people their, their sins so that they make tawbah to him purely and it is not for the muslims to go around spying upon people and exposing them in that way if other people don't know then it's not our job uh, unless of course it's a legal uh, it's the police department the 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 uh, 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 the authorities who need to look for crime and so on and so forth that's something different but on an individual level we do not raise things to the authority level because we see people sinning 
just as a, a basic principle and we'll come to that in the future as well so they need to be very trustworthy their eyes will see many things they will see lots of different ajib things and they've got to keep that yani, uh, private as such okay so that's that the next the next one is that uh, they need to be alim alim and bilwaqt knowledgeable of the time okay now that obviously makes sense back in the day now not, it, not at all really because there isn't a mu'adhin, 99.9% of the mu'adhineen are following their times, calendars, whatever. They're just told when to, whatever. And I want you to know that actually even the hadith indicate that that's something which is permissible. Anyone give me an example? Very easy, very famous example of not having, it's not being a condition to know the time or understand, not know the time. Understand timings. That's all I should say. What have I translated as? Knowledgeable about time. Knowledgeable about time. The time. Yeah, that's important, okay? Uh, actually, that is the exact translation of what's been written. Knowledgeable about the time. Aliman bilwaqt, meaning the time. But when I mean the time, I don't mean just the time for the prayer. I mean the concept of time. And I mean by that the movement of the sun. The movement, the, the, the nature of the light in the skies. So some form of uh, astrology, um, uh, astronomy, astrology, <laughs> astronomy, okay, is what we're talking about. Yes. Okay. Correct. Well done. So um, Abdullah, ibn Mak- uh, Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum, radiallahu an, one of the well-known companions of the Prophet he was blind. And so he's the one who gives the adhan for Fajr. And we're going to talk a lot about him. I have a lot of stuff to share from my own pocket about him because we're going to be dealing with a lot of controversies with respect to Fajr, especially uh, when it comes to this chapter. And um, I think it's very important for us to understand if we study the Sunnah and we study the companions and their actions, that we have a very clear template on what to do when we have those confusing times, such as in the summer here, and maybe in the winter as well, in a different kind of manner, but especially the summer when it's not very clear outside what's happening, i.e. when time cannot be ascertained in a very accurate uh, way. And so people might say, you know, uh, uh, we're, we're able to do calculations, we're able to do use degrees and angles and X and Y and theories and formulate. And we say to them that, you know what? This is not so different to what happened at the time of Prophet There were companions who were giving the adhan also not knowing about the time, yet it happened. Can we take a principle from there and apply it today? I believe so, absolutely. So for example, Abdullah ibn Maktoum, he had the response, you see Salatul Fajr, uh, as you know, and we'll cover this in detail, has uh, the, the hadith in Bukhari and so many other collections indicate that there are two adhans that happen for Fajr. But... Only one is for the entry of Fajr and the other one is, although it's called unofficially Adhan for Fajr, it's considered the first Adhan in order to tell people who are fasting to quickly eat your food now because we're not too far away now before the real Fajr starts. And for people who are sleeping to wake up and quickly pray your witted if you haven't prayed already and if you're fasting etc then get the job done. If you're praying your tahajjud, you know, pray your witted straight away. It's a warning sign, okay? And it is um, a one which is significantly meaning half an hour 45 minutes an hour that time is irrelevant but it's significantly before the actual start time of the actual time so i don't know what, what is it today today is, is around 6 50 probably whatever uh fajr start time 
Yeah, around, uh, you know, half past six, uh, quarter seven, something like that. And so the first adhan would be around six o'clock, where it's still pitch black outside. There's no indication of any fajr whatsoever. And we will talk about this. That first one was given by Bilal. Okay, Bilal radiallahu an, he would give that uh, adhan. By the way, I've got to share this with you because if I don't, then I will, I never forgive myself. I remember the first time when I went to uh, uh, teach in um, Kuala Lumpur. Okay. So I'm teaching, I'm teaching fiqh salah I think my first class that I taught in Kuala Lumpur, we're talking donkeys, it's about 2009, 10, something like that. Okay, nine I think. And um, so I'm there, whatever, and, I, and we eventually come to the chapter of the Adhan. So I'm explaining, you know, the this, that, whatever, whatnot. And then someone asks a question. <laughs> Stop. I can never forget that day. I have the worst memory in history, but that moment I've never forgotten in my life. Someone asks a question about a Mu'addin, about the characteristics of the Mu'addin. He goes, or she goes, um, so, uh, you know, to be honest, we get the conditions you're saying, but our Bilal, they don't need to do that. I said, yo, what? They go, our Bilal. I said, what's a Bilal? They go, that's what we call a Mu'addin. A Bilal, I said, you racist bunch of pants. Are you flipping kidding me? They go, yeah. They go, that's what we, that's our, that's like, they don't use the word Mu'addin. They call them a Bilal, named after Bilal. Now, I don't know why I found that racist, but I just purely found it racist. And I was shocked. I said, are you kidding me? They go, this is it. We call our Mu'addin a Bilal. This is the, the Bilal will get up and I'll give the Adhan. The Bilal will do this, the Bilal will do that. I don't know, it sounds, is it just me? And you call them Pax as well? Yeah, the Pax, you know what I mean by Pax. <laughs> Pax is any Muslim, yani, basically. Derogatory, the pejorative yani, term to apply to any, any Muslim, right? Okay. What do you think? So, would they change his name? No. What do you mean change his name? <laughs> do we know a Bilal from that name? No, he is the Bilal. He, huh? He's the Bilal. Yeah, he is the Bilal. Yeah. Yeah, as his title. Job title. He is the Bilal. Now... Validate or, 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 or set me straight here because I was shocked by that. What do you think, folks? Come on. All right. Put your hands up if it's a mountain out of a molehill. Okay. <laughs> what does that mean? It means that I got it completely wrong. There's nothing in it. That's what it means. Okay. Put your hands up. If you, if... Or, 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 okay. or put your hands up if you believe there's abs. No, no, there's a major issue with this. <laughs> Malaysians, they could be Malaysians. They, 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 they love it. They had no problem with it whatsoever. They were very proud. They were shocked that I was shocked. <laughs> and they're basic people, you know. When I said that's so racist, they were like, "Oh, really?" Because <laughs> they're miskeen. They're like kind of, you know, submissive like that. You know, they like. Then I felt guilty afterwards. I wasn't sure, whatever. But it, it still shocks me to this day that you call a muaddin a bilal. It's like. Someone give an example. Someone give a good, clever example. I'm, that might not be such a bad example, you know. You're going around calling a guy whose name is Yanni, you know, his name is Tony, and you say, hey, Bob. He goes, my name's not 
My name is not Bob, I'm Tony. Right? That's a, that's a diss, isn't it, really? No? Okay, let me give you another example. I don't know if this is the same example. I don't know if this is what we call a qiyasu term, a complete full analogy with all of its conditions, yeah? But you know what the Arabs do to pants in um, Muhammad? In Muhammad! In Muhammad! Muhammad! It doesn't matter what your name is. They can be told, sorry, my name is Abdullah. Muhammad! And it's just like this dismissive yani, slapdown of choice, yani, whatever. Now, obviously, it's different because there's so much kind of hate and thingy when they say it. So that's, that's a massive difference. They don't have that you know, hate as such when they say Bilal. But what if the guy wasn't being... Um, what if it was a polite Arab? Because you got the polite ones in the restaurants. You see, they put their hand up. They say, Muhammad. Muhammad. And you as a pack have to turn around. That's the culture. He basically means you as a pack. What do you reckon? It's not another. <laughs> Is that a fail, yeah? Oh, oh, no. Am I reading too much into this, yeah? Okay, then we we'll move on. Okay, no problem. Anyway, the point... Uh, you call Hajj Abdul Haq Bilal. You call Hajj Abdul I will get upset on his behalf. There's something there, man. There's something there. I don't know why you guys are hating on me, man. But I'm telling you, there's something there. No, no, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. They love the, the, the companions. Malaysians are the most awesome people on this planet. Let me just make that very clear. So, yeah, so, but... It has become a branding, but I don't think it's become a branding for the right reasons. Huh? I honestly, I, I. This is my point. Now, call me Yanni. You know, making a <laughs> call me making a racist, right? or making a mountain out of a molehill. But I see that as racist. And they were, I mean, they said absolutely not. But, you know, like Islam says, you know, if would a white companion for another job, you know, job be used? Are their leaders called Abu Bakr's? Is the second Mu'addin called an Abdullah ibn Maktoum? Is the, the deputy, yani backup guy called that? I don't know, man. I don't know. Maybe I got that one wrong. What's it got to do with him being black? Well, I, I, I don't know. That's just me. Maybe. Super sensitive, maybe. But also aware of the fact that there is a, you know, in that whole kind, I'm just going to write off a whole people now, but the whole Southeast Asian kind of scene, their relationships with black people is not strong. You must have seen that video, man. The Chinese couple who are walking down the street and the guy's got like a, a monster mask on. Huh? Iron Man mask? And he jumps in front of them, like really scares them. And they're like... And then he takes his mask off, he's a black guy, and they go, oh! <laughs> Have you not seen that? I mean, that's a viral video. I mean, you know, it indicate, encapsulates what, what we certainly perceive to be a racism, racism problem in that area. I don't know. But why in that area? If you look at actually saw black people across the Muslim world, yeah. you won't find Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Ab absolutely. I, I, I think what I meant to say more then is that they are such a low represented in Southeast Asia. Yeah, uh, uh, that, that's what I mean. Which is ironic because, of course, you will you you won't notice if you're not familiar with Malays. But there are black Malays, black for as long as uh, for every intent and purpose. Yeah, and not Afro Caribbean style black with uh, black, uh, you know, uh, hair like uh, whatever that type of hair is called. I'm talking normal, dark, 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 dark black skinned, dark skinned Malay, native. Like from hundreds, made I mean, Malays have got so many mixed Yani blood. This day, Yemen and Arabs and Pakistanis and Indians and all kinds of flex going on. I don't know. But they're just dark skinned. They're not ethnically from the African country. The uh, the Malays, you mean? Hmm. Yeah, and the the, the 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 number within them is very little, and I don't know. Anyway, yes, money. If there was a polite polite Arab, wouldn't he ask what's your name? That's my point. <laughs> if it's a polite Arab, you would say, "Sorry, what's your name?" Or "Achi, brother, why are you giving it the Muhammad Muhammad thing?" Now you see, people will say, "Well, he's not calling him something disrespectful. He's calling him the best of names." No, no, you can't do that. You can't black that one. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, okay. So uh, anyway, so the point was is that uh, uh, Bilal gives the adhan before. And that's fine, but then the actual adhan where the light changes, which requires a real knowledge of understanding, and we're going to cover this in detail, of what Fajr is. And Fajr, as you know, is not just a concept because it means to explode, and so you're looking for a kind of semi-explosion on the horizon, but the light color is very important. It's not just the bright white, there needs to be a level of redness in there, etc., etc., etc. So there's a real definition you're looking for in contrasting to the normative light conditions. So you need to be aware of exactly, yes, that's the Fajr, because the same thing roughly happens in the middle of the sky. You need to know that that's a false dawn, that's where you get the, the phrase false dawn from, Al-Fajr Al-Kadib, and the true dawn, which is the dawn on the horizon. You actually need to be knowledgeable about Fajr. However, Abdullah ibn Maktoum was blind. So that, uh, what used to happen is that he used to stand there, he used to climb onto the masjid and wait. And the companions around him would say, Ya Abdullah, asbahat, asbahat, yani the morning has, the subh has, has, you know, morning has broken. Actually, it's exactly what the uh, translation is. Morning has broken, morning has broken, the fajr is in. And he'd be like, are you sure? Are you sure? And they'll be like, it's in, it's in. He's waiting for more voices, more voices. So when all the voices become a crescendo, he's like, right, well, it's definitely started now. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. So he's not knowledgeable about the, the, the time. So I agree with what Sheikh Uthameen says, that maybe the reason the author puts it there is that knowledgeable about the time means that as long as time is stuck to, whether he knows it or finds it from someone else or makes taqlid of someone else or he uses an accurate time, blah, 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 then that's the basic thing that we are talking about or that the, the, the thing that we are worried about. Anyway, I think it's a good point uh, to be uh, uh, aware of. Now, um, on to page... He gives a, Sheikh Uthameen at the bottom of page 52 does give an interesting example as well. He goes, If a person said to two people, Look out for Fajr for me, okay? And that used to happen, alright? So a fasting one, say, so, you know, Abu Bakr al Siddiq, for example, we have narrations from him that when he is about to fast and he is doing his, you know, suhoor is sunnah to eat it late, <coughs> yeah? Yosari. 
suhur. Eat it late, meaning right on the kind of limits. So he would have his servant on the doorway. So he's inside and servant on the doorway doing the old kind of, you know, uh, 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 what's the word, man? Observing. Observation. Observations, whatever. Okay? Um, and if you say it to two people, alright? And that also used to happen, by the way, in the time of the companions. Anyway, one of them says, one of the men says, Tala al Fajr. Fajr is in. It's in. والثاني يقول لم يطلع. The second one goes, it hasn't entered. Fajr has not entered. So Sheikh Uthameen says, the fuqaha said that we take by the second statement. That it has not entered. And so therefore he will continue to eat and drink until they both agree that the Fajr has actually entered. Okay? So he makes this point when there are two people who are of the same level of knowledge. They are not sure of basically the exact fact. Right? This is important, what I'm about to say. These are when two men who are not knowledgeable about the thing, they are basically making a lay observation. Well, if there's a difference of opinion amongst lay people on an observation, then we have to have absolute certainty from both of them. However, if we ask two people, and one is aliman bil waqt, knows the issues of time, and the second guy, he doesn't know anything, lay person, and the first one says the fajr has entered, and the second one says, no, it hasn't, we have to and obligated to take the first statement because he is knowledgeable of the time. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's why the Mu'addin is a very responsible, a very trustworthy, a very uh, high pressure, uh, high accountability position, and we've got to treat it like that. All right? Now, now, the, um, then the Sheikh says, um, فَإِن تَشَاحَ فِيهِ إِثْنَانْ قُدِّمَ أَفْضَلُهُمَا فِيهِ and so if they are now two people, uh, you know, who are wanting to go ahead with this, okay, what did we say? If there are contenders for it, okay, then the one who is best in these characteristics is chosen. And that's very straightforward. However, this is only, and this is probably the most important thing you'll write in this chapter, this is only if there is no official mu'adhin. If there is an official mu'adhin in the masjid, it does not matter how many contenders there are. Is that clear? It doesn't matter even how bad he is. Because he is the mu'addin of that masjid. And this is because the Prophet ﷺ said in the authentic hadith, Then let not a man lead another one in his authority. Let not a man lead another man in his authority. Fi sultanihi. Where he is Sultan, where he is the authority. What does this hadith refer to? Um, this refers to his house. So you are a big sheikh and you go to some next guy's house and it's salah time. You don't just suddenly say, right, give it a qama, I'm leading the prayer. It's not your authority to do that. It's not your house. Even though you're the big sheikh and he knows only Juzamma, he's the one who leads the prayer because this is his authority. That's the sunnah. Alright? Likewise, masjid. Okay? You know, Sudais comes down on a visit. And Sheikh Abdul Ghaffar is there. Sheikh Abdul Ghaffar is the one who leads. Not Yanis Sudais because everyone that has come. Obviously, it's going to be a riot. Yeah? Okay? Which is why Sheikh Abdul Ghaffar will turn and say, Please, I'd like you to lead. And that's why the full, the full, the full narration or the full wording of this narration and other narrations is 
لا يؤمن الرجل رجل الرجل في سلطانه إلا بإذنه that let not a man lead another man is in his authority except with his permission and so therefore if the other guy says no please I insist then of course it's something which is permissible for you to do so the qiyas we make analogy that once this applies to the imam it also applies to the mu'adhin as well and so therefore the mu'adhin he is not preceded by people who come in I don't care how great you are what you know what this what that the mu'adhin of the masjid that's his position he's been chosen and he's the one who does it so every part of this discussion that we're talking about now is when there is no established mu'adhin maybe you're a group of guys that are uh, camping and you've gone out for a week retreat and now it's time to make the adhan and everyone's going to want to make the adhan because as we said before the uh, the ajr for giving the adhan is huge the Prophet Sallallahu I didn't mention to you, I wrote it uh, in an article a couple of days ago, but the Prophet Sallallahu said, oh, oh Allah, guide the uh, Imams, okay, give rushd to the Imams, and forgive the Mu'addineen. Uh, that's a big thing. That's a big thing for the Prophet Sallallahu to make dua for a class of people. So if you are from that class of people, you have earned the maghfirah of the Nabi Sallallahu which is a huge point. I want you to think about that. And there's a, there's a wisdom behind that as well. Why is it that the Prophet ﷺ said give guidance to the Imams? Because they're the ones who lead the community, make the big decisions of knowledge, this, that. They need knowledge. They need to, make, they need to have guidance and rushed to be able to you know, make the hard decisions and the right ones. Whereas the, the, the Mu'addineen are the pressure people. They're the ones that are really under pressure. They're the ones who will see things, like I said, that they shouldn't. They're the ones who make mistakes with the time when they tried not to, etc. So the Prophet ﷺ is seeking forgiveness for them. And so, and you would see a hadith that we're going to come to. Well, I'll, uh, uh, I say to you now, the Prophet ﷺ said that if the people knew the excellence, the reward that was to be found in giving the adhan and praying in the front rows, then if the only way that they could actually get to be in that position was to draw lots, yeah, to toss the toss for it, basically, then that's what they would do. They would toss for it. Because they're so desperate to take that position. If they knew. But they don't. So they don't. Yeah? So the excellence of giving the adhan is something which is very, very clear. So, with that being said, we're always going to assume when there's no official mu'adhin, there should be this busyness from the people. There should be a crowd of people ready. So when that happens, we have a criteria. It's very simple. Whoever is best in those characteristics goes first. So whoever's got a better voice, whoever's got a nicer voice, whoever is more knowledgeable about the time, whoever is, then they're the ones who go first. And we are not, and that's why the, 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 the author said fihi, the Arabic word fihi, meaning that it's whoever is best in these characteristics. So if, the, for example, if there, were five, if there were two people that were vying to give the adhan, One's a half of the Qur'an, but they are yani, uh, similar in the rest of the uh, characteristics. The hifz of the Qur'an does not, does not um, actually give him the right to give the adhan. Does that make sense? Yeah? Because that's not one of the characteristics that should be taken into account. It's whether he can say it louder or not, etc., etc. Does that make sense, everybody? However, if they are now all the same in those characteristics as well... Then we have to go to the next thing, which is whoever is best in his religion and in his intellect. Now, Sheikh Uthaymeen here makes a point. He goes, I'm amazed that the person, that the author has not included knowledge. Because that would be separate. Because when we say someone is good in his deen, we're talking about tadayun. 
what we call practicing. You know when we say someone's practicing, that means he's very serious about his religion. They don't partake in interest. They don't do zina. They don't waste their time. You know, these kind of piety, righteousness, charitable, you know, characteristics of quality. Now, that, that is something which is uh, uh, found in people that not have, don't have knowledge. Like, you know, you find your old elders who are sitting there praying all day, the best of people, yani, whatever, they know nothing about the deen. Do you get what I'm trying to say? So actually, deen and ilm are two separate things, technically speaking, right? And then aql means intellect, meaning clever, meaning someone who is aware of the situation, is intelligent and so on. However, as Sheikh Uthameen admits, it is probable that actually by using the word aql and actually deen, he's assuming that they are both covering the concept of knowledge as well. And we will, we will go by that. And so therefore we understand that actually knowledge and religion and intelligence is all being assumed. So now we're talking about a scenario where there are everyone who's on all equal levels and we still can't work out who's going to go next, but one person definitely is more knowledgeable about the other or he's more versed or whatever, then he gets the chance to go forward. Is that clear, everybody? Yeah? Yes? So what's, what's intellect got to do with it? Intellect here is, is, a, is basically a synonym for knowledge. What else are we going to translate aql as? Because intellect, you can have a PhD in worldly matters, but I have no idea about the deeds. Cool. Yeah, so I don't, I, I don't think it means in such a secular fashion. Certainly secular uh, 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 qualities are not being uh, 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 measured here. I think it's meant to be uh, a, um, a combination. When we say the word aql and intellect, we are combining intelligence, knowledgeable of the time, confidence of the people, that kind of thing. How he applies the right? Yes, yes. I think it's very flexible, this phrase. Very flexible, very flexible. Because actually we could just argue and say, instead of saying those words, we should say the best of them. And that's ultimately what we're talking about. The next thing is what, what happens then, okay, is that then, What did I translate that as? the locals choose for them, Say that again? Or then whoever the locals choose. Or then whoever the locals choose. Now, jiran is the plural of jar, meaning neighbor. Okay? So, in actual meaning, the translation should be the whoever the neighbors choose. But it's not whoever the neighbors choose, it's whoever the locals choose. Now, this is very important. Because, as Sheikh Uthameen says, this is a point which is a bit strange because the idea is, is that if we can't work out who's the best person, okay, then then we've got to let the people who basically attend the masjid and the regulars there, let them make the call. Make a call. And they're not going to all agree, whatever happens. And so therefore, the majority of them is going to be sufficient. As long as the majority of the local community, they agree, they're the one who is most affected by this mu'addin. Sheikh Uthimin makes a point. He says, you know what, it's very possible that um, at the time of the author, six, seven hundred years ago, whatever, 800 years ago, it's likely that the masajid were not controlled like they are today and like we recognize it, i.e. with a group of trustees, a group of people who are responsible for the matters of the masjid. Or we have a government which is taking the, the, the responsibilities of the masjid. And so in the presence of such a trustees or group, whatever, they're the ones who will get the responsibility, not the, not the locals. However, if there is a masjid that doesn't have some kind of committee, doesn't have some kind of authorities, and not a government or awqaf that are covering it or, you know, whatever, then those people, 
on the locality then can make that decision and the majority get the call. Is that clear, everybody? Everybody happy with that? Yeah. Then the next thing, okay, what's the next thing? Then lots are drawn, huh? Hmm. Yeah. So then lots are drawn. Now this I found really interesting. Okay. I find this very interesting, but what's more interesting is where oh, there, there. Okay. Now this in Arabic is called Qur'a. Okay, Qur'a. Thumma Qur'atun. Then lots are drawn. And what are lots? Okay. Lots basically are, I don't know what, I don't know what lots are to be honest. Okay, uh, uh, modern day lots are, um, you know, put your name in a hat and pull it out basically, right? Um, it's a perfect chance where everyone's got an equal chance of being chosen. That's what lots are. And that's very important for you to recognize, okay, that, there, that this is actually a big issue. And Sheikh Uthameen goes into a small tangent, but I think that we should make it an important one. Because... Um, I, just, I just got to make sure that we understand what lots are. Is there anyone who doesn't understand what that means? So we're saying that if there are like three people or five people that are exactly the same in everything and we can't work out what to do, who to choose, so we'll take all of these five people and write their names on five pieces of paper, put them in a bag, and then we'll just put our hand in and we'll just pick one. Whoever's chosen then that's the one who gets the job. That's drawing lots. And what I want to say, and that's what, 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 what Qur'a is called, but Qur'a itself can take a number of different forms. It's not the form which is protected. We know that this happens in the Sunnah. We know, for example, it happens in the Qur'an. I wanted to give you some examples of permissible Qur'a that happens in the Qur'an. So for example, um, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Ali Imran, uh, verse uh, 44, وَمَا كُنْتَ لَدَيْهِمْ إِذْ يُلْقُونَ أَقْلَامُهُمْ أَيُّهُمْ يَكْفُلُ مَرْيَمْ وَمَا كُنْتَ لَدَيْهِمْ إِذْ يَخْتَصِمُونَ You are not uh, present amongst them when they cast lots to those to see which of them would take charge of Maryam, of Mary. And you are not present with them when they argued about her. This is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaking to the Prophet sallallahu You weren't there. Okay, this is the meaning of this phrase in Ali Imran. You weren't there, O Messenger of Allah, O Muhammad. You weren't there when they were arguing amongst themselves and trying to draw lots. Yani to try and work out how to who's the one who's going to look after Maryam. And you weren't there when they were arguing about this. So it's showing about what actually happened. Now, let me give you a quick, uh, you know, explanation of what's happening there. You know, Maryam, alayhi salam. She was like an ayam in ayatillah. She was incredible. Her level, her quality, her worship, her devotion. And her mother, her mother, um, uh, Hanna, okay, her mother's name is Hanna bint Faqud. That's the wife of Imran. Okay, the story is called Surah Ali Imran, the story of the family of Imran. And of course, it's the family of Imran. It's Imran, his wife, that's the mother of Maryam. Then obviously Maryam, the story is about Maryam. And then of course the story of the son of Maryam, which is Isa alayhi salam. So the entire surah is talking about this blessed family. They've all got important roles. So Hannah, Hannah, 
um, as the mother of uh, Maryam, when she came, she basically gifted Maryam into the service of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for effectively the masjid of its time, which is like, yani, and of course the, 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 uh, the priests or the holy men of the time were rabbis, okay? And they wanted to look after Maryam. I mean, she was a prize, she was a blessing. Anyone who's going to be doing the kafala, okay, the kafala of Maryam, to look after her, sponsor her, care for her, whatever. It's like, yani, you know, uh, uh, someone today being offered the opportunity to look after orphans and all the amount of reward that you'd get for it. So she was going to be, she was going to be a virtual orphan and the reward of her excellence, etc. So they were literally like arguing about it. And subhanAllah, Ibn Kathir says uh, that the rabbis basically said, we are more deserving of her because she is the daughter of our imam. Now Imran, السلام, he used to lead them in prayer. He was their actual imam. All right? And so they said, we're the ones who will get to look after her. And uh, Zakaria, السلام, okay, Zakaria, السلام, he's like, no, I am more deserving of her because I am married to her. Anyone know? Her aunt, his wife's sister, his, his mother's sister, her mother's sister. Okay? So this works out to basically be her, his wife's niece. So she's family for me, direct family for me, and I'm the one who deserves to uh, do this. And so they were arguing over this, they couldn't agree on this. Now these are scholars, rabbis, and they would be writing the Torah. And so basically, uh, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes, how they, yani, alqaw, yani they threw their pens, alright? Um, Ibn Abbas said, and you'll find this uh, in many of the, the tafsir, that, you know, uh, you can see their pens are like wooden pens. You know, they dip into uh, uh, ink and quills and all that kind of thing. And so what would happen is that they would throw their pens into the river. And the river would be moving. And as the river moves, the idea is that the pens would all go with it. But out of a chance, one of them is going to come up from, you know, being underneath the water. Come up and then be still and not have moved while others have moved away. And so when they all threw their pens... All the pens went except the pen of Zakaria alayhi salam. فَكَفَّلَهَا Zakaria. Okay, so therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that Zakaria won and Zakaria is the one who then took care and sponsored basically in sponsorship of the um, of Maryam. So that's drawing of lots. They all agree that this is the process that we're going to um, utilize. And then we also know in, and that's in Surah Al-Imran verse 44. And in Surah Safat, Verse 139 to 141, Sheikh uh, Uthameen quotes, And then, uh, indeed, Yunus was from the messengers when he aborted the overloaded uh, boat. Al-Fulk is a ship, rather, I should say. Al-Mashhoon, full of, you know, the shahan, meaning cargo, full of cargo. Fasahama. And so he drew lots and he was from the losers. Um, what's this referring to? You will be aware of the story of Yunus alayhi salam, I think. Okay? And it's crazy, subhanAllah, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was using him in a way which he was unaware of at the time and protecting him throughout, putting him through this trial. Because when Yunus alayhi salam left his people and he boarded this ship, the ship was already not in a great state. And it was absolutely rammed full of cargo. So it was already over, overladen. And so when it gets into the sea and the storm hits, 
And it's all over the show. Basically, the people have experienced said the only way that we're going to survive is to reduce the weight. And so we've got to start throwing things off. And it's not throwing this, that, and that off. And it's still not working. And so now it's time for people. Someone's got to go ahead now and sacrifice themselves and jump out. So they, the crew started to draw lots. Okay? I remember one of the... I remember when, back in a day when we did the tafsir of this verse. Okay? That actually in the Arabic it should be for ashama that they all then drew lots, whatever, and then that he was from the losers. In actual fact, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَسَاهَمَ meaning that Yunus salam said, no, I want to be part of this as well. And he put his lot in as well. Meaning, I, I, I'm, I'm into this as well. And they were like, you've got to be kidding. We can't be, you, 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 know, we, you know, even if you lose, we're not chucking you over, right? So uh, he goes, no. He actually insisted that he be, be, is part of it as well. And um, he got chosen, meaning that his number came up. Now, in the books of Tafsir, it says, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, their strength is not very strong, so we can't be absolutely certain. But it says that he got chosen, the day that the people refused the result. Because they said, we're not going to throw our prophet over. Right? And he, so they repeated it. And he got chosen a second time, and they repeated it, and he got chosen a third time. And so they tried to repeat it again, but, but uh, Yunus alayhi salam, he took off his shirt, and he jumped over. Yani, they tried to stop him, and he jumped over. Alright? And obviously, as you can imagine, this is of course a, a, a big moment of self-sacrifice and so on. And, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had the plan, and of course the whale came, and it was commanded in a very specific way. That you will not only you will you swallow Yunus, but you will do it safely. You will not in any single way uh, break his bones, harm any part of his skin, in any single way digest him, whatever. And you know the rest of the story from there. So the lots were drawn and Yunus came, came out yani, as a loser in that. <clears throat> and that's why the Salaf used to say that when it comes to Qur'an, when it comes to lots, there are three prophets that actually partake in lots. And that's Zakariya, Yunus ibn Matta, and the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ, there are a number of narrations where this happened. In front of him, he was part of it. For example, in Bukhari, we have a number of hadith. Um, uh, who can remember them? Let's do it. One we've mentioned already, yes? Which one did we mention already? Everyone who's about to go to sleep. May Allah forgive you all. <laughs> we just mentioned it like 10 minutes ago. Yeah. What? Wallahi. Where's the window, Shaz? We can, we, we, we. No, no, the hadith. A hadith. Not the tafsir of Quran. I mentioned this literally minutes ago that the Prophet ﷺ said that if you, if you were to know the excellence of giving the adhan or being in the first rows of the prayer. But they actually do it. So, but what did he say? He said and there was no choice to do it, then they would take lots. He can't say that if it's haram. Okay, because it's calling to an act of worship. Okay, that's a difficult one. There's much more famous ones. What other ones? Um, okay. Uh, when the Prophet ﷺ would go on a journey in Bukhari, the Prophet ﷺ, uh, his wives would want to accompany him. He can't take all of them, can't take any majority of them. So they would draw lots who would get a chance to go, okay? And accompany him on the journey because that journey time is not part of his normative division. Any other ones? Yep. Yeah. 
his father, uh, with being sacrificed, and his name was drawn, and the hundred cows were sacrificed in place. That's not a bad example, but I'm not too sure of the authenticity of that. So it's, it's good, but I'm not too sure. The other example that comes to mind is um, the hadith of Uthman ibn Mad'un radiallahu ta'ala anhu when the muhajireen came to the Ansar and they drew lots to work out who would stay with who. So names were put into a uh, hat or into a, 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 a clay jar and they were basically choose who would be the one that would be matched up with who. Um, Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar al-Shanqiti narrates that it's said by the Salaf that Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas um, when he was part of the people who conquered Iraq and the land of Kisra, the general area of Median and so on and so forth, that there was such a buzz because this is blessed land and so on and so forth, the lands of the prophets. And when the people came, there was this desperation. Remember I said to you guys that the Adhan is an indicator of Islamic land and the absence of the Adhan means that yani, that's an area of Kufr as such. And so whenever they would enter an area, one of the first things they would do is establish the Adhan to put prayer in there, like sanctify the area. And so this, this, this unit, military unit, they're kicking off big time. They're kicking off with one another because they want to give the Adhan. And they're all superstars. They're all, yani, you know, Sahaba, knowledgeable scholars, whatever, whatnot. And there was a big problem. And they said Sa'ad, then basically that's where the practice started. He took uh, lots and one person was chosen to give the actual Adhan. So... You know, that's um thing. There's a there's a point I want to make. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Ma'idah, He says, you know, about uh, uh, the the uh, uh, that the carrion and the pig and this is that is all forbidden for you and the animals which have been killed, etc. Surah Al-Ma'idah verse 3. and he says, fisk. Yes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, and you are also forbidden to allot shares, okay? You are also forbidden to determine uh, things by drawing marked arrows. Al-Islam. That is a heinous act. So tell me, all right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prohibits it in the Qur'an and the Prophet ﷺ encourages it as a solution in certain scenarios. Yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says it is fisk that a person determines who should get what or what people should do or who should be chosen using arrows. What's the solution to this? Like what? No, 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 no. Who can tell me about Aslam? What is uh, what is Aslam? This is a significant issue. Aslam, plural of Zalam, are basically straws, the bow, the 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 the, the body of the arrow. Yeah, the body of the arrow without the spear thing on the of whatever. So that's like made of type of wood, like a bamboo or like whatever. So they're the things that would basically be put into a container. They'd write on it and they'd put it in the container and then they would then basically choose. That's Aslam. In the Hanafi school, the majority of the Hanafi imams that narrate the madhab 
okay, reject Qur'an. They reject, it's very interesting. Subhan is very interesting. They reject Qur'an. No. Go, huh? In all its forms. In all its forms, okay, because, it's what we're talking classical, yeah, because they said that Allah, what Allah has said in the Qur'an is very clear, and yes, and the other majority are saying, what are you talking about? What about all these hadith that the Prophet ﷺ is allowing Qur'an, allowing this, that, whatever? And they said that the Qur'an here is going to be taken priority. Now you got to, again, I've talked about this before and I'll say it again. Very important to understand in the development of the fiqh of the Hanafi school, that because of the nature of the time and the fitna that the Iraqis were going through or that time where there's lots of new sects and new bid'ah, new this, that, liars, blah, 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 people fabricating hadith left, right and center, it basically forced people like Abu Hanifa and his students, whatever, to become super kind of, super brains, yeah, and he's like, they become dependent upon what is absolutely certain, which is the Qur'an, or very, very high conditions for narrations that they could super trust, and then anything that would not reach even close to their super high standard, they wouldn't say that it is fabricated, but they would avoid them because, you know, who knows? At least we know for definite that the Qur'an is 100%. So it's very important that you understand what I'm saying here because this is similar to the people of the people of Kufr today who depend upon the Qur'an and reject the Sunnah. Yep? That's not what's happening then. They're not rejecting the Sunnah. They were saying that we don't know what the Sunnah is. We're not 100% sure of, of what it is that you're saying to me. I know that this hadith is absolutely certain because I heard it myself. I know these hadith are absolutely because they are of the highest order. I know the Quran because... And so they would depend on a smaller source and try to milk it more. Does that make sense? So they would concentrate more. So that's why when you see Abu Hanifa with the Quran, he comes up with just pure madness. You know that? It's amazing. The way that he uses Qur'an to come to rulings, other scholars weren't able to do that because he's spending so much time milking and milking an ayah, getting fiqh from it, where other people are just thinking there's no fiqh in it whatsoever. Does that make sense? Yeah? So this is what's understood by some scholars. However, one of the major imams of fiqh uh, uh, called Ibn al-Mundhir, he wasn't a Hanafi, he claims that Abu Hanifa did not left it, he left this position. And in fact, what he said, and I quote, he said... He said, um, drawing lots can never be allowed by the use of qiyas. You know, by use of analogy. Because that's what he used to rely upon a lot. Yeah, analogy. Making analogies. It can never be allowed because uh, uh, al-Islam... Uh, drawing lots by thinking in the Quran has been made very very haram so saying that therefore uh, lots today drawing lots by tossing a coin or you know doing whatever we do today is going to be allowed by Qiyas okay it can never happen because it is haram by Qiyas but Abu Hanifa said but we will we will leave our Qiyas and we will stick to that what has been narrated in the Sunnah and therefore we will accept Quran and that seems to be the final position of Imam Abu Hanifa on this. And I, I am pretty positive that in the modern day Hanafi school, after all of its revisions, that they also accept, like the mass majority of scholars, the existence of Qur'an. Okay? And the permissibility of Qur'an. The permissibility of drawing lots in order to solve a problem. So I've still got the remaining question. What, how is actually Qur'an allowed when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forbidden it? So is it about 
where it's permitted, you have a group of people who are equally deserving of something. Okay. And in that scenario, it's allowed. Whereas in the other scenario, it's a random choice. Some people are more deserving, some people are less deserving. It's pure luck as to whether someone gets something or not. I'll give it to you, not because of what you said is right, but because the principle what you mentioned is correct. The answer is, is that both of them are fundamentally different in what actually happens in the process. So for example, when the people used to use Aslam, okay, the Jahili Arabs, okay, there are two positions that people understood that were, was the reason why Allah called it Fisk. And Fisk, of course, in the Quran is Kufr. Okay, Fisk in the Quran, in its original form, when it applies to the early days, it's referring to Kufr. Yeah? Um, the first is that, that what they would do is that on these arrows, if a person was faced with a decision, he wouldn't know what to do, so he would take three arrows. On the first one, he says, my Lord commands me to do this. On the second one, he would write, my Lord prohibits me to do this. And on the third one, it would be nothing. The idea is that you pick this, the, you, you got this decision to make, and therefore you put your hand in, and if you chose the third one, then you'd have to draw again. And if you chose the third one again, you draw again until you receive some, uh, until you choose one of the arrows that says, my Lord commands me to do this, or my Lord does not command me to do this. Now I want you to stop there for a second. How can that be permissible? It's like, for example, uh, Fajr prayer. Yeah, my Lord commands me to do this, my Lord commands me not to do it. It's the way that they were using the, the actual system was impermissible. And it's a lie against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because Allah never commanded him to do that or it could be I'm going to go on a journey today or not. Shall I go on a journey today or shall I not go on a journey today? And therefore they would let the decision of the arrows make that for them. Does that make sense? Yeah? Always understand that. The second objection is, as some of the scholars said, that at that time the Jahli Arabs uh, were not referring to Allah ordering them to do it and Allah forbidding them to do it but their Lord. Amaraniya Rabbi bifi'lihi. And their Rabb, of course, they were referring to Allah and Uzza and all of their, you know, Manat, you know, all of the, the shirki idols, you know, that they had. And so that would be kufr anyway. That is why Fisk is shirk. Um, interesting point, bonus point. Sweets are outside for the winner, okay? What did, what did we replace this with in, in the Sharia? In Islam? Istikhara, well done. We replaced it with Salatul Istikhara. Okay? And we will of course talk about Salatul Istikhara in its right time. But Salatul Istikhara is the blessing prayer. I call it the blessing prayer. There is difference of opinion about what, you know, what its function is, but for me it's very clear. It's not, a prayer that also, it's not a prayer that also helps you in the way that the Aslam do, but rather you make your decision based upon all of your faculties and common sense, your research and your expert opinion and all of your good things, you make the decision, you choose the person, and then you make the prayer as like a sealing the deal kind of thing. Is that clear? So that's what was haram and kufr and shirk. And what we do today though is nothing like that. Everyone is the same, and we just want to choose a person. We're not talking about the lots determining whether you should do an action or not. That's not permissible. We use lots just to determine who's the guy who's going to be uh, 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 you know, we could draw lots now. Who's the last one who's going to lock up today? Everyone wants to not do that. 
but someone's got to do it. And so we devise a system. It could be any system. It could be a computerized system. Can we stop doing that? No, because you're the one who's locking up. <laughs> That's the funny part. We're not doing Qur'an because Zafar's locking up. Isn't that amazing? Okay. So, um, so that's that really. Short straws, I think. Well, I just want to get it clear in mind. What are the main ways? Toss of a coin. So I'm just saying a toss of a coin is permissible to make a decision on who should go first. And drawing a straw. Bad names and a hat is probably the best and easiest way. And the most Islamic and the most permissible. Okay? So that's why Sheikh Uthameen, he goes... فَهِيَ تَرِيقٌ شَرْعِيٌّ وَأَيُّ طَرِيقٍ أَقْرَعْ بِهِ فَإِنَّهُ جَائِزٌ That actually any way that you guys do Qur'a, then it will be permissible insha'Allah. And that's that. Okay, it was a bit of a packed lesson, but I think it was good that we covered quite a bit of the pages. Let's do questions insha'Allah. Okay, let's take some online, then we'll do the Nasr and a few others here. Would a modern equivalent be... The idea of Umrah tickets being selected at random by channels who require you only to send your details and or, or would it also apply for children entering their names for prizes for answering questions and in any case is it permissible or impermissible and in brackets I keep away but the children <coughs> have asked and for me it seems like gambling. So the question basically in summary is asking about is, is this Qur'a that you're talking about that you're saying is permissible, does that mean that, that if you, that you have these uh, TV shows that offer Umrah and, uh, or prizes by the picking of random you know, winners, is that something which is allowed and whatever? So there needs to be two things that need to be said. Number one, these are two completely different things. The drawing of lots is not the drawing of a winner in a prize. Okay? There's something different. I mean, in principle, it's the same thing in that a person is being chosen a random nature, but one is to choose a winner for some kind of prize, and that has its own Islamic ruling, whereas this one has no uh, a, a loss or gain attached to it. So let's just deal with that. So, so the first answer is that this is not Qur'an. Okay? This is, yani, uh, the Qur'an is being used in this process. Now, whether it turns into maser or gambling or qimar, okay, gambling, is depending upon whether the person spends any money. So if the people who enter into the competition spend money on a ticket, okay, then it becomes gambling. You know, the random process that is chosen, the random process that is used to choose the winner, names in a in a bag or a number that comes up via computer, whatever. That in of itself is a permissible form of Qur'an. It's a, it's a choosing of a number. But if that permissible choosing of a number or a person is done in order to give the prize to someone who's paid for an entrance ticket or a ticket into that competition, then this is gambling. Because that means that the people who did not win, they lost out their money. And that is what we call a zero-sum game, which is the definition of gambling. And that's the idea, of course, we're going to come to in Mu'amalat when we're at least 60 years old. Yeah, but we'll get there, inshallah. Patience, boys and girls. We'll get there. Uh, so in answer to that question, um, uh, if a people put their names in a hat for the Umrah, okay, it is only permissible if they, if they don't pay any money. However, I, I, they, most, of these get, most of these are not permissible. Because they say that it's just the cost of sending something in, but it's still a cost. So if you have to, you know, it's like on TV... After the you know after you've watched the game, the advert comes up. You've watched the big kind of Champions League match. 
Then it says that, would you like to win our ticket to the Champions League final this year? All you need to do is to uh, call this number or text the answer. And it gives you the most ridiculously easy question ever. Like, you know, what channel is this being played on, right? Okay, you think, oh, I know this, I know this. Yeah, right? And so then you, you, you send your text message in. But that text message is not a normal text message which comes out your bundle. There is a pound fifty charge. And that pound fifty charge is the equivalent of a gambling sum of money. If you ask a non-Muslim to send a text to you. <laughs> there we go. That's like Yanni telling your non-Muslim guy, buy me a lottery ticket. <laughs> you think he's going to give you the gifts when he wins, huh? Honestly, man. <laughs> Guess me packs, man. Yeah. Honorary pack all the way, bro. Well done. <laughs> uh, carry on, Nadeef. Uh, that's, that's it? Online? Okay. <coughs> Can you answer? Uh, you mentioned about the condition of the Mu'adzim, good voice, trustworthy, knowledgeable of the time as well. And many uh, hadith resources, the dua for the maqbira for those people who are the Mu'adzim. I mean, it's going back to the importance, like somebody who's definitely trustworthy, somebody who's on the roof, has the trust, Keeping low with gear and everything else, is that the reason? Is that the illa behind it for that forgiveness and the rank of the muadzin? Because at this time we don't have that. I mean, everybody's like you said, relying on the timetable. So everything's done. The job's done. Nobody's on the roof. Nobody is in the trust. So what is the actual reason behind it? Well, that's why I said that the person's amana, the fact that he is, he must be amin. Um, is not just because of him observing the people's aura. I said that also a person's going to have to sacrifice so many things and you as a community or the imam, whatever, have to trust that he will sacrifice. So imagine, he's called up and he's said, listen, let's go out tonight and this, that, whatever. And then then everyone's got a desire to go out, you know, to go and get a kebab or whatever. And he's the guy who's got to say, no, I can't. I've got to open up the masjid. I've got to, whatever. Can we trust this person to make the right call every single time because the people are depending upon him to be woken up or the people are depending upon him to fulfill and make this area full of blessing. So they are trusting in him to do these requirements. So it, it, the, the trustworthiness will be established however much we get advanced in technology because it's an act, it's ultimately it's an act of worship. And then what we mentioned before, that whatever uh, weight, whatever things happen in terms of someone's able to make the sound for him and giving the time and this, that, whatever. But you still got to come to the masjid, isn't it? We've got no one. Have a look at our Fajr prayer and Isha prayer and look at the size of the Muslim community in Chiro and we see very few people come every morning. It's like a, it's a big shame. Okay, big, big shame. And so this Mu'adhin, if even the whole world is, even if he comes in and does adhan to an empty mosque, think about that, okay? The Mu'adhin comes into this masjid and he gives an adhan to an empty mosque. Not a single person hears it. He, so, you know, so it, it doesn't matter what his voice is like. It doesn't even matter. No one actually even knows how good his voice is. Yes? No one knows if he says it right. No one knows if he knows the time because we will come for the time of Jama'ah. He probably puts a heater on, whatever, and it's all great and he's loving it. It doesn't matter. He still came to the masjid, isn't it? And the Prophet ﷺ promised a huge reward for the one who prays Fajr and Jama'ah as if he prayed all night. Okay, in Qiyam. And so... The dua for maghfirah from the Prophet ﷺ is well deserved for a mu'adhin. Well deserved. Regardless if he falls into sins, not whatever. That just com- that confirms his status. I think that it's referring to someone who does an act on a repetitive fashion. Doesn't necessarily have to be permanent. But not someone who just, you know, jack the leg. Let me just quickly do a cheeky adhan and make myself one of them people who are forgiven. You know, <laughs> and, that's, and that's it. So, yeah. Fine.
Take your bus. Okay, Zakmullah Khair. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha ilan tuwastagafurukallahumma wa atubu ilayk. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Hayyakumullah.